Well, hey, it's great to see everybody here on 4th of July weekend. Boy, it's good to see uh, everyone having a great time. I know you're going to have a great time if you can stick around out on the patio and celebrate with us a little bit, just being able to be together and grab a burger or something like that. Uh, I've always wanted to take a moment and let everybody, that's whether they're in the video venue or online, let them know that we're so thankful they're here with us. Would you welcome all of them with me there? Great to have each and every one of them there. Now we continue in the series, uh, Nate's going to have another weekend off, uh, next weekend I'll be here. After that he'll be back, we'll have caught his breath, and, and we're uh, continuing on this road trip, the whole idea of God taking his people uh, through the desert and through, through uh, away from Egypt and into freedom all the way to the promised land. And we, we talk about some of the things that can go wrong on a road trip. Uh, this weekend, we look at Exodus 19 and 20, and it has a little bit more to do. It's what I would call a prelude or an intro or an overture. Now, I grew up in a very small town, and the good thing about a small town is you might make the ball team, and I barely did, but it, it, it was fun. But the other thing about a small town, a small school is uh, uh, I got to also be in uh, some of the musicals and stuff and band and all that. So I'm like this glee guy that went from basketball practice right to a band or, or a baseball or the musical thing. So I began to understand a little bit more about music from a standpoint of what a good introduction is. And an intro is usually all four measures or 16 or some little bit of thing where you get the feel for what the song's going to be about. Now, a prelude is typically a whole song usually heard in church. Back in the old days, uh, usually the person playing the organ, they'd play a little song and they'd know, okay, it's ready to start paying attention here. But if you've ever been to a musical, you know what an overture is. An overture is usually three, four, five minutes long, has a little bit of every song, 10 or 12 songs, so it's the whole thing. Now, the reason I mention that to you is because that's what today is. Exodus 19 is a little more of, a, of an overture or a, a prelude or an intro to get us ready for the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at the first five of the Ten Commandments this weekend and then the last five next weekend. So you know what an intro is. Matter of fact, if, if you would hear certain chords by Garth Brooks... And all of a sudden, I mean, you would, you, you'd all, all of a sudden, you just hear just the chords that he would play for maybe four measures. You would come in and, and simply say, blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. You'd have it, you know, uh, friends in, in, in low places. Uh, if you would hear a, a chord progression, just a few measures long uh, of an Eagles song, you'd realize we're ready to check in at the Hotel California. You'd, you'd just know it really quick. You can pick that stuff up. Now, uh, uh, Nathan and Ruthie's middle, middle child, Carter, he, he's, he's, he's going to be four end of August. And uh, he's, he's something, I'll go for my iPhone and I got his attention really quick, all right? You know, that, the grandkids, they go for that. But if I all of a sudden put on a song, uh, if you've ever done the Disney Channel, dun, 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 anybody know that song? Oh, yeah, Ricky Mouse, right off that channel, called Hot Dog, Hot Dog, Hot Diggity Dog. Oh, yeah, we need a support group, don't we? I knew, I knew there'd be quite a few on that. You see, there, there's something about when you hear an intro or a prelude or an overture, you can kind of tell what's coming next. Now, that, so that's what 19 is about as we get to 20. But the theme is a little bit different. The theme is this reestablishing the holiness of God while we're on the road trip among us. Now, God's holy. 
That hasn't changed. He's perfect. He's, he's uh, completely pure. None of that has ever changed or ever will change. But God's authority needed to be reestablished amongst his people, if you will. Uh, the movie Hoosiers, love the movie Hoosiers. It's great. We could have a sermon clip almost every weekend about it. Here's another line from uh, Hoosiers, you know. It's just, it's just a great one. But uh, the, the very beginning, when Gene Hackman is now the high school head coach, he comes in, and the JV coach is running the practice, and he knows the guys, and he's doing this, and they're doing that. And you can tell he's not going to let go of the team and let the head coach be the head coach. So Gene Hackman does the only thing that a head coach can do. Uh, you're gone. <laughs> I'll get somebody else, you know, because there's going to be this tug of war, and this divided loyalty, and he did that. He had to reestablish, or in this case, just simply establish authority and respect. If you've ever seen the movie Field of Dreams, seen the movie Field of Dreams, uh, build it and they will come. We've heard that phrase forever. But if you know the movie that it's loosely based upon or the, the reality based upon, uh, is, uh, there's another movie called Eight Men Out. And in 1919, there were eight guys playing for the Chicago White Sox who took a bribe by a big mobster to, to lose the World Series. And it was all detected. And there was a fellow by the name of Judge Landis who went on to be the uh, commissioner and remained the commissioner of baseball for a long time. He negotiated on if he was going to rule on this, it had to be complete sovereign rule, they called it back then. In other words, you cannot appeal this. What I make as a call, he says, will be, and nobody can change it. And he tossed those eight guys, Shoeless Joe Jackson, some others, out of, of professional baseball. And they appealed and appealed and appealed. And a lot of people back then thought it was a, oh, they ought to let them come back. They made a big mistake. It was going to take care of their family, hard times and all that. And yeah, 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 yeah. But today, if you would ask many baseball historians, they would say it was at that point when integrity was reestablished in the game in the public's eye. Now, the reason I tell you all that is because that's what Moses is about ready to do. It's what God is saying needs to happen on this road trip. You have to understand who I am. I had a little cup as a kid mom had for me there. Anytime we'd have a little sandwich at lunch or whatever it was or peanut butter or mac and cheese. Oh boy, that mac and cheese as a kid. It is the ultimate comfort food, isn't it? And there's a little cup and it had on there, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. My problem is I've been thanking him for food ever since then. But he was, if you only knew that, if that's all you knew, if you only knew that God is a great God, he is mighty, he is powerful, he is awesome. If you knew that, but you also knew, and he's a good God. He loves you. Every commandment, every, uh, everything he says to do is for your protection and for your provision so that you might have the best experience in life, this side of heaven and heaven itself. God's great. And God is good. But God had to let his people know how great he was before they would ever understand how good he was. Now, four things I want to mention that he begins to do. Number one is he, he really makes sure that they begin to respect the limitation. Would you say that with me? 
Respect the limitation. In other words, God says, acknowledge my power and make no assumptions. In verse 2, uh, they're all gathered around here at the mountain, and he says, here's the way you need to do this. I want everybody in front of the mountain. Nobody start climbing the mountain, getting on the pine trees, throwing pine cones at each other, uh, approaching me flippantly. He says, everybody, right here at the bottom, don't start coming up the, up the mountain. In verse 12, he tells Moses, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful you don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Now listen what he says. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. God says, uh, you're, you're not going to treat me in a flippant way. You're not going to treat me in a common way. The theme of today is, is holy. To understand God is separate. He is apart from us. We're common. We're impure. He is pure and absolutely holy. Not only great and good, but the only one who is great and good. So all of a sudden, he says, you've got to respect the limitation. You have to understand that as you approach me now, it needs to be with respect, and you can't just kind of walk in and out of my presence and this and that and, and, and treat me as common. Now, the second thing is he helps them understand they needed to embrace the consecration. Now, that's a big word, all right? They needed to embrace this setting him apart. That's what consecration is. It's dedicating something for a holy purpose. Today, you all have decided, 11.30, I'm here. That's going to be zoo, a zoo getting out of here. You know that on the traffic and everything else. Uh, but, but today, you have said, I'm going to make sure that 11.30 is the service that I'm at. You consecrated that. God says you need to embrace this consecration and acknowledge my purity. Not only that, make yourself ready. Listen to what happens in verses 10 and 11. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. In other words, as, as their leader, as their deliverer, he could set them apart and let them know you are a, a chosen people and God has us all now here. We're not in slavery anymore and you are separate. We have come out uh, away from slavery, away from Egypt, and we belong to God. He says, have them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now Moses is saying, God's going to show up and you need to clean up. You need to make sure that you're ready for that. Verses 14 and 15, look what he says. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. God always begins externally. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day on the inside. And then he had a phrase that I'm sure got every guy's attention. Abstain from sexual relations. Okay? You could hear the whole Hebrew nation of men say, who signed me up for this, you know? All right, what's this have to do with that? But if you understand the nature, the concept of cleanliness and purity, in Jewish culture, that made you unclean for a, a, an amount of time. God says, I want you to respect me to the point that you're willing as married people to not do that because you're about to approach me. Purify your heart, not just purify it, refocus, make your heart uh, uh, of a single mindedness and a single purpose and everything is lined up towards me. So he's got everybody's attention now and now it's time to experience the demonstration. And in the next seven verses or so, God says he, 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 he displays himself and his wonder and his power and his might 
Because he says, you've got to acknowledge my presence and take me seriously. You ever notice sometimes what it takes for us to become serious about something? Usually takes a couple of warnings, three or four times. You ever wonder why we tell our kids, uh, don't make me come down there, you know, or, or uh, count to three. Why don't we ever just say count to one, you know, because <laughs> we know we're going to have to ground them on the spot. That's how that's going to happen. And, and, and God makes sure that they have a focus on him. Listen to what happens in these verses. It says, thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and a loud trumpet all come about. So here they are. They're down at the foot of the mountain. And God is reestablishing himself as holy, great, and good, and pure, and separate to them. And they know they can't come on up. They, they, they are right here right now. And here comes the thunder. Here comes the lightning. Here comes the thick cloud and the loud trumpet that's playing. It's going to get louder as we go. And Moses and the people, they stand at the foot of the mountain. So we have this respectful prelude, overture intro, if you will, getting ready for the Ten Commandments. But they're not ready. You know, God's not quite ready to write with his finger on, on the stone what those commandments are. He's getting them ready to be able to listen carefully. And God descends on the mountain, the Bible says, in fire and smoke. How many are easily distracted like me? Anybody easily distracted? Matter of fact, you, you, you look at right now, hey, what, what are they raising their hand for? What are we talking about here? Uh, I easily distracted. Squirrel, off on the side real quick. I'm reading through this, trying to just kind of focus and meditate on this this week, and, and I see this fire and smoke, fire and smoke, fire and smoke, and all of a sudden I'm thinking James Taylor, fire and rain, fire and rain, fire and rain. I see, uh, and then I'm going, uh, fire on the mountain, run, boy, run. Anybody ever hear that song? The devil's in the house of the rising sun chicken in a bread pan, picking out dough. Yeah, granny does your dog bite, no child, no. And uh, anybody, Charlie Daniels, you know, the devil went down to Georgia. Yeah. yeah, I'm easily distracted. And then next thing you know, I'm going off on something else of a song that my sister Kathy played back in the days of the little 45 records in 1963 by Shirley Ellis called The Clapping Song. And it has a little thing called in there of a verse 369, the goose drank wine, the monkey chewed tobacco on a streetcar line, the line broke, the monkey got choked, and we all went to heaven in a little rowboat. Clap, clap. Anybody remember that? Yeah. I need a support group. Please help me with this. Easily distracted. And God says, I'm going to make sure <laughs> that you're not easily distracted. So I'm going to send the thunder, I'm going to send the lightning, I'm going to send this cloud. There's going to be a trumpet, and God is going to descend on the mountain, and there he is. Now, i got some friends out in L.A., good friend Gene Apple out in Anaheim who preaches, and, and several others, and I had to check to see how far away that was from Ridgecrest. Because Ridgecrest had a significant earthquake this last week. Did you see some of the video on TV about that? All of a sudden, God makes this mountain, Mount Sinai, tremble. Not just a little shake. The Bible says it trembled violently and the trumpet grew louder. And God says, okay, got your attention. And he descends and he invites Moses up. And as he says, okay, only Moses, only Moses, going to talk to one guy at a time. He brings Moses up. And he says, Moses, you go warn the people. And he even says, even tell the priests. 
so that they won't think, hey, we get to go too. Look where we're all going. Uh-uh. God says, I'm holy. I establish this holiness, this separation, and yet I love you deeply. But it begins with respect. It begins with a holy fear. It begins by putting limits around the mountain and setting it apart as holy because God is holy. Three big words that you've probably heard through the years, but we don't say very often. Uh, one is omniscient. Can you say that with me? Omniscient. And it just means all-knowing. God knows everything. And you can't get your head around that. <laughs> we, we're very finite. We can try. We can uh, imagine the infinite. He knows everything ever was, ever is, and ever will be uh, in all of history and all, all of eternity. That's who he is. He is omniscient. He's also omnipresent. Would you say that with me? Omnipresent means he's everywhere all at the same time. Right now, he's uh, at every church. He's at every bar. He's at every ball game. He's at everything. Every uh, home uh, that the, there is, every homeless person there, he's right there close and near to all of us. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And he's omnipotent. Would you say that with me? Omnipotent. He's all-powerful, almighty, almighty God. Now, I want to ask you maybe for a moment, when did he establish his power, his knowledge, his presence in your life? When did God begin to make sense? And some of you may say today, I'm not sure he ever has, but he's knocking on my door right now. You might be here for the first time. You might not even know why you're here today. Uh, but, but it might be because maybe God's doing some things or allowing some things to happen in your life and my life that he's getting our attention a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more to see if we'll recognize him for the God that he is who has done the things that he has done. And that leads us into this last little part of the final part of the prelude intro overture that I would call now we're ready to receive his expectation. Now God You've got our attention completely. We're ready to hear what you want to say. And in Exodus 20, the first 12 verses, he goes through the first five commandments. And he says, I want you to acknowledge my precepts, my rules, my guidelines, and obey them fully. And he begins with the final part of the prelude, and that is who God is and what he's done. He, he starts out in verses 1 and 2, and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, I, I think this is the first time in the Bible where God literally says, who's your daddy? <laughs> okay. But again, I'm easily distracted, right? He literally says, do you understand what I've done? Do you understand who I am? I brought you out of Egypt. We've relocated. I brought you out of slavery. You're free. When you and I begin to sense the freedom that God gives to us from our past, from our sins, from the, the, the bondage that that can be to us, and all of a sudden we begin to live in that freedom and we live in his holiness and his, his purity and we do that through his son Jesus but he says, before I give you one through ten, you got to know I 
am. The Lord your God, and I brought you up out of this, and I brought you from over there, and we are here now. And you have no Egyptian taskmasters breathing down your neck. Why? I did it. He lets them know. They needed to have that moment. So don't we? Sometimes. I, I grew up in the church. I grew up being taught that we know pretty much what's right. And that our church knows a little bit more than that one. And we know a little bit more than that one over there too. And boy, we sure know a whole lot more than them. You know? <laughs> I grew up a Pharisee. That means prideful, a little higher up, spiritually speaking, being correct. I have learned through the years, God never called me to be right. He called me to be faithful. It, it doesn't matter. I'll be wrong on a couple of things. I, I'm not going to be wrong on the main thing. <laughs> but like how the, how the Lord returns and what's going to happen first, second, third, and uh, this. Does that all have to happen in order? I don't need to be right. I just need to know I'm headed in the right direction. I will high five you on the way up saying, I'll be doggone. I missed that one, but here we go. You know? <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. As long as we're right on the main thing about, about God. And he says, this is who I am. And then he begins. And I'm kind of putting a different phrase with each one of these. I would call the first one the exclusivity of God. You shall have no other gods before me. Just me. God says, just me. A relationship with the God of all creation begins when you're talking to him and it's just him and nobody else is in the way. Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, he told his close friends and disciples, he said, listen, uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions and I'm going to go there and I'm going to prepare a place for you and, and I'll come back and I will have you with me where I'm going. And, and you know the way there. And all of a sudden Thomas said, wait a second. I can't GPS that one, Jesus. I don't know where you're going. And since I don't know exactly the address on all this, how in the world can I navigate where, how to get there? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, here's where it gets exclusive. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says very clearly, he is the only way to forgiveness he is the only way to heaven. That's why we do a lot of services on the weekend. That's why we do everything we can to help support missionaries. That's why we high-five other churches, that we're not the only ones. We're just one of a few, a part of the kingdom of God, not trying to find any kind of uh, uh, lines of division to, or distinction to let them become walls of division. But we are not enemies with any other church. We're here to cheer everybody else on who knows who Jesus is. That, that makes all difference in the world. Jesus said that God is exclusively accessed by, by me. And God began with commandment number one, no other gods but me. Now, the second one, it seems real similar. I would call it the jealousy of God. Please understand, it's not a jealousy based on insecurity. That's what ours is. 
Ours is based on insecurity when we feel jealous or envious or something like that. No, jealousy is a good thing. It is a passion. It is a desire. It's a possessiveness that wants us and wants the best for us. And he says, no other images, okay? Don't be creative in all this. Don't just let some other God pop up, but don't go out of your way and try to make me and refashion me in some other way. Don't be caught creating your version of me, God says. Because if you do, and he goes on in verses 4 through 6, he says, I'm a jealous God. I I, I am a God who loves you and is passionate about you and wants you. The devil wants you too, but I want you more. And he says, "What, what will happen is if you take a different route and you start twisting me and treat me like a buffet, you want a little love, a little joy, peace, but no self-control. I'll take that to go, God. You know, well, so won't everybody in, in the path of least resistance in our weak moments. But he says, if you take sin lightly and you take me lightly, you're going to wind up in a whole other place. And he says, sin will visit the next generation. He said, it'll come to your kids, it'll come to your grandkids, and it'll come to your great-grandkids if you deviate from me. So he gives this warning of the residual effect of sin that can happen on future generations with the encouragement to not let that happen. Now, Commandment number three, after no other gods and don't make any graven image, don't be creative on on substituting something for God, is simply the name of God and not to use his name in vain. He says don't misuse it and he says no exceptions, verse seven, you know, don't don't misuse it in any way. Don't, Don't take my name in vain. Don't take it in a vow that you don't mean. A vow that we enter into lightly, we have to be so careful of. And I've learned a lot through the years, whether it's doing a lot of weddings or doing a lot of marriage counseling or doing a lot of recovering conversations when there's a marital failure that happens. I have found we need a lot of grace in that area, amen? A lot of grace. But I have found that all it takes for a marriage to fail is for one person to quit. And the other person can do their best to keep it together, but it, it takes two to desire that together. So the more in any premarital counseling kind of time that I can have to, to share with a young couple or, or an older couple or whatever it might be, is to realize as we move into taking that vow in the name of the Lord, entering into that covenant to make sure that our eyes are wide open and, and our hearts are committed and being able to say, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish according to God's holy law, I give thee my pledge. To take to take that vow seriously. Like I said, please understand, I know that all sorts of things can happen to interrupt that. But God wants us to go in, not taking his name or a vow lightly. Now, the fourth one is the Sabbath rest, the rest of God. 
And, and I would say God kind of says 16.6, not 24.7. In other words, in, in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, he goes out of his way to say, you know what, you need to be aware of what, what this really looks like. 16.6 uh, is pretty much uh, sleep eight hours a day. Make sure you take a whole day off. Listen to what he says in, in verse uh, 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you'll labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, manservant, maidservant, animals, alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. There's that holy word again, that consecrated, that set apart for rest, for recovery, for reflection, for him, for the household. And boy, don't we live in a world that competes with that. Ministers, everybody, we all will wrestle with trying to find that time that we're able to pull back the rhythm of working and entrusting. Now, the final commandment we'll deal with today, and just to make sure we're, we're good on that, understanding uh, no, no other gods, no other images that we make, not misusing his name, taking time to honor a day of rest and worship and reflection with God. And then finally, the family of God. Being able to honor our parents. I've had people through the years say, uh, and sometimes, typically, it would be uh, a son or a daughter saying, uh, you know, not real close to my dad. <laughs> what do I kind of owe my dad if he hadn't been close to me? Uh, well, it appears. <laughs> Honor. Well, what if, he, what if he hasn't been honorable? Let me reread that. Okay. Well, Honor your father and mother. Hmm? Doesn't say anything about whether they've been uh, honorable or not. It... it, it it becomes our gesture of honoring God by honoring a mom or dad who struggled. Struggled to do the right thing. Struggled to do it for the right reason. Struggled on any level. It's honoring God. So God says, if, if you're going to enter into a, a loving, holy relationship with me for future generations, there's some holiness that you need to portray on my behalf in relationships. Now, I want to ask you to read as we get ready for communion right now, uh, the Lord's Supper, and, and share in that moment, and some of our, our ushers will be getting ready for that right now. Uh, First Peter chapter 1. I, I love how Peter just, boom, let me get to the point real quick. And he says once in a while, therefore, all right, in other words, in light of the few things I've already said, here we go from here. I want you to read this as, as that passage appears on the screen. Let's say it together. Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
be holy because I'm holy, God says. He wants that for you and me. I want to invite you to prepare our hearts in a declaration of the holiness of God and to sing with us an old hymn. And let it be a reflective moment. Let it be a majestic moment. Let it be a moment that we declare before one another and to the Lord himself how holy and pure he is. Early in the morning
Heavenly Father, thank you for your holiness, your might, your power, your strength, your greatness, and your goodness. Thank you. We love you, and today, Lord, at the end of this moment, this service, we look forward to having a time to be reminded through the bread and the juice of the body and the blood of Jesus. And I pray as we remember his great love and sacrifice, you would let it become a little more real, a little more true in our hearts. May you bless this moment and make it holy is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.